All right, good morning, church. Good morning. We are in a series in, called Palette in the book of Colossians. So if you could uh, turn in your Bible to the book of 1 Corinthians, that would be awesome. And we'll explain why we're doing that in just a little bit. This, uh, this morning, we're talking about singleness, uh, Jesus and my empty ring finger. And uh, the truth be told, we as a church, not only Manuka Bible Church, but the church as a whole, oftentimes really, really communicate the amazing reality of marriage. We oftentimes do not talk about the amazing reality of singleness, and uh, that's pretty messed up. So if, you can, if, you've got, if you're turning in your Bibles or on your phones to 1 Corinthians 7, while you're doing that, um, I just got to talk about this issue a little bit more. And when I think of singleness, I think of one of my, one of my favorite people on the planet, who is uh, Eric Wilgen, and for a good long time, he was single. He was the guy that saw all of his uh, friendships um, around him from, from college start to couple up and eventually get married, and Eric Wilgen was slowly becoming that single friend. And you might be this person where like all of your friends are all like, bloop, 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 and you're just like, yep, here I am. And Eric was a guy who, um, at, at Moody, he was, he was hilarious because he would um, go to these coffee shops uh, on campus when they'd have like people playing live music and stuff, and he would play music that he wrote, um, but he, he couldn't sing. And he can't even, couldn't even really play the guitar, but he did, both. Anyway, and he would write songs that were really, the lyrics weren't even all that quality, but it was, they were funny. And they were usually cutting uh, about the school itself, and so we found it hilarious. And so when Julie and I got married, we said, we gotta have, we gotta have Eric Wilgen sing at our wedding. I mean, we just gotta. And so we, we talked to him, and I said, Eric, you know, we'd love to have you, um, we'd love to have you write a song and, and perform it at our wedding. And he's like, in your wedding? No, not, not in the wedding, at the reception, but it's kind of the same thing. It'd be awesome to have you do that. And so sure enough, reception rolls around, Eric grabs the guitar, and he picks it up and he gives the same introduction that he always gave. Um, I feel really honored to do this, um, especially since I, I really can't sing um, and I don't really know how to play the guitar. But Errol and Julie asked me to write a song uh, for their wedding and so I did last night. And so here it goes. <laughs> and what happened after that was magic. Eric, um, our single friend, sang, he started the song off with something like, let's talk about love, Let's talk about beauty. Let's talk about Errol and his sweet Julie. <laughs> That's enough about them. Let's talk about me. <laughs> I'm still single. That was the song. And he'd go into the next verse. The next verse talks about like, you know, the intricacies. This is, you know, romantic love is probably amazing. Marriage. Whoa, what a great idea. But, let's, but again, come back to the reality. I'm still single. And they kept on coming back to that refrain all through the song. Great, whatever's happened with them. But seriously, I'm still single. For years, Julie and I would have relatives that would ask, whatever happened to that single guy? <laughs> and I, I Facebooked him to try to get the exact lyrics because they were art. I mean, just art. Um, and I couldn't, I couldn't get a hold of him. And the reason I couldn't get a hold of him is because he's in the center of Africa in the Congo, in the Central African Republic as a missionary. And so he'll check his Facebook, you know, sometime in the next month or two when he's able to get into a town that has Wi-Fi, and he'll go, oh, <laughs> here it is. I'm like, too late. <laughs> Eric Wilgen was somebody who emulated that, that problem, though, I mean, and, and was vocal about it. Like, within the church, we really make this whole marriage thing a huge deal, and rightfully so, it is huge. 
Um, but we oftentimes botch how we communicate with singles. There's two people that wrote two different uh, articles about what not to say to single people in the church. Because people who are single in the church oftentimes get this message about, oh, you, we just really pity you. <laughs> That's kind of what ends up happening. And so they have a couple statements, and I'm going to read you what, what they wrote about each one of these statements. This is what not to say to single people in the church. Number one, being single is a blessing says the person that's married. Being single is a blessing. You can use this time to prepare yourself for marriage. The person writes, this is very true. However, please show me the place in scripture where Jesus tells us that our goal is to prepare for marriage. I recall him telling us to go into the world and make disciples of all nations and recall him telling us to love him with all of our mind, soul, and strength and heart and to love our neighbors as ourselves. But I can't quite remember a time when Jesus tells us to change transform, polish, or refine ourselves solely for the sake of our future mate. Could you point that out to me? I'll wait. That was one thing they said. Uh, next, uh, don't, don't say this. You know, he or she's married, right? This usually comes when a single person remarks that a person of the opposite sex seems nice or cool. And sure, I appreciate my friend making sure I know this guy I just met is, you know, unavailable. But notice, I said that he's nice. Not, do you think that he'd like to spend the rest of his life with me in a committed monogamous relationship? <laughs> Contrary to the enormous sign I must have plastered on my forehead saying, I'm measuring every person I meet against marriageable standards. I'm not instantly wondering if I can marry the guy I just met. You know he or she is married. Don't say that. As soon as I, <laughs> I love this. As soon as I decided I was okay being single, my husband and wife came along. That's awesome. <laughs> I love it when God works that way. Isn't it cool? However, God does not always work that way. I've been in the okay being single stage for roughly seven years now. Men have come in and out of my life. I've dated a couple of them. I haven't married any of them. I've been single longer than I've dated. So please don't present an attitude of contentment as a magic formula to find a spouse. Every person on earth should, should work on cultivating an attitude of contentment regardless of what stage of life they're in. And for no other reason than to be the complete and whole and confident person that God has called them to be. This is great. My husband or wife and I have been thinking about someone we could set you up with. Because <laughs> we care. <laughs> it's so encouraging to know that people other than my mom and her best friend care about the details of my life. <laughs> However, maybe you could just have dinner with me yourself instead of trying to find some stranger to have dinner with me. I spend more of my time wanting friends than boyfriends. Someday, 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 you're gonna make somebody very happy. <laughs> Sweetheart, someday, I just know it. I'm very flattered at your confidence in me. But what if I don't get married? I don't know if I ever get married. Maybe I'll run an orphanage or a halfway house or a dorm full of college students or a church. Will I make them happy? Is my small group lucky to have me or my family? Or will I still never full, reach my full potential because I am not a wife or a husband? My giftings and personality traits were not put in me to make someone else happy. They were put in me to serve this world, to glorify God, and to point people to Jesus. That is my ultimate goal. 
And I can't think of a better um, summary of the, what 1 Corinthians 7 is talking about. Um, again, growing up in church world, um, or really any world, um, culturally speaking, dating back thousands of years, the idea of singleness is not something that is put up as anything special or important. In fact, just the opposite. Um, in fact, one of the things that we see more often than not is that the whole idea of be fruitful and multiply and Paul's words of encouragement about how amazing marriage is and what a beautiful reflection it is of God's love for us, we, we fixate on those and then we ignore the other passages that, and the aspects of Scripture that points to the amazing reality of singleness. And, and so because we've botched that, we need to address it. Now, you might be saying, okay, well, but look, you're, you're actually, you're going to be studying not in the book that we're studying as a church. You're not even going to Colossians. You're going to Corinthians, the first letter to Corinthians, because you can't find anything in singleness in, in, in Colossians. True? Isn't that right? Yes, that's right. We'll see. Apparently, Paul, who said a whole lot about marriage and a whole lot about having kids and a whole lot about other stuff in Colossians, didn't think it was all that important to say anything about singleness. So is it really that big of a deal? The guy who wrote the book, Paul, was single. The guy who's giving marriage advice is not married. The guy who's giving advice about kids doesn't have any. This is the argument from silence surfaces up with the reality that singleness is right there. Paul's like, yeah, I have something to say to you and something to say to you. Do I have a wife? I do not. I have something to say to you. I have something to say to you. And on top of that, he does make note of the importance of singleness elsewhere in this passage. You do not see Paul having the perspective of, you know what? What would really be great is if, um, Corinthians, here's all the stuff that I need to tell you. And by the way, if, if you know of a woman who's cool with adventure and, you know, going all over creation and being imprisoned, and she's beautiful on the outside as much as he is on the inside, then could you, because I'm really looking. He doesn't say that. And the reason being is because he's coming from a different place. This thing of singleness that a lot of people feel like is this pressurized um, imposition upon them where you don't feel like you have a choice. Paul is saying you do. You have a choice. And the significance of now is something that we need to realize. Some backdrop on, on the Corinthian church before we jump into the passage, though. Uh, Paul's writing to a church with some serious issues. Um, a lot of people have said that if you want to look at a great parallel in Scripture to the American culture, you look at the Corinthian culture. Whether it's regarding sexuality or whether it's regarding politics or the way church members are kind of jerks to each other sometimes— this church has got that and then some. And so Paul is writing to a church and a culture and a time very much like our time. On top of that, Paul is writing to a people who have been taking some serious sniper fire for being followers of Jesus. Persecution is royally high. This is a time frame when it, if you're saying that you're a Christian, you're putting yourself and your family in jeopardy. Christians are getting skewered and lit on fire for uh, evening parties of, of the emperor. This is not a time where people are just open and totally cool with Christianity. This is a persecuted time. And so he's writing in that time frame. And on top of that, he's under the impression that Jesus could return at any moment. You see his words in this letter to the Corinthian church. And he's talking about this, this coming from an angle of, look, I don't have a whole lot of time to talk to you about this, but I've got to let you know this and this and this. And then you hear him dropping phrases like, this part, this, is, this isn't God, this is just me, this is my opinion, but you got it. Let me just tell you this. He's frantic. He's frantic because of the persecution and the, the wartime mentality that they're living in as Christians. And in light of that, he says a lot of stuff in that passage that has to be taken in context. But the thing that continues to surface is this, 
this absolute appreciation for the role in life that he's currently having as a single dude and how he doesn't feel like that's some type of disease that he needs to be fixed or cured from. And so what we're going to be talking, so today, this message, I mean, it could apply to, to anyone in this room, but I want it to be especially to those of you who find yourself in an unmarried situation. For you, this is, these are the words of Paul, that you have a choice. You actually have three choices. And the first one comes with this, the choice to making who you are in Jesus your focus now. Paul, if you go to uh, chapter 7, Paul says some trippy stuff about singleness and how awesome it is um, if you take a look. Chapter 7, verse 1. Now for the matters you wrote about. It's good for a man to marry. Wait, no, he doesn't say that. Now for the matters you wrote about. It's good for a man not to marry. Dum, dum, dum. But since there's so much immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should love and fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. If the, the wife's body does not belong to her alone, but also set also to her husband in the same way. And this next statement is incredibly countercultural for first century writing. In the same way, the husband's body does not belong to him alone, but also to his wife. Don't deprive each other except by mutual consent and for a time so that you may devote yourself to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say this as a concession, not as a command. I wish that all men were as I am, but each man has his own gift from God. This one has this gift, the other one has that. Now to the unmarried and to the widows, I say, it's good for them to stay unmarried as I am. But if they can't control themselves, they should marry. For it's better to marry than to burn with passion. And he goes on and on like this. He keeps on making this picture that... The consolation prize, the second place prize in life is not singleness. The second place prize goes to the married. <laughs> the winner circle is the single. And Paul's like, like, okay, like seriously, man, go for being single. If you're married or if you're not married, man, go for being single. If, if, if you're a widow, go for being single. If you can avoid being married, do it. But if, if you can't, you know, I guess you got to get married. You know, <laughs> there's a plan for even people like you. That's the kind of the, the perspective he's coming from. And the reason that he could say such an audacious statement is because of who he finds himself in, in Christ. That's his completion. That's his starting point. I wrote this down when I was studying this passage. Paul is beating back both the cultural shame cast upon singles who, for some reason, are deemed incomplete in their current status. And he's also beating back the inner narrative many kids, I'd say most kids, grow up with that says, life stinks right now, no one truly understands me at home, but... But one day my prince will come. I mean, one day I'm going to meet somebody who just gets me more than anyone else gets me. And they're going to love me unconditionally like no one else has. And this person who gets me and loves me unconditionally, together we're going to have this just an epic marriage. And, and people are going to, look, going to look and say, I just wish I was like you guys. And they're like, yes, you should wish that because we're awesome. And it's going to be amazing. And then those people get married. And they realize... That, that expectation and that mantle of fulfillment that only Christ could accomplish is a major disappointment in whoever we marry. That's why all marriages are like, man, I mean, even people who aren't believers are like, man, this is just such a shockwave. How, how, I thought that this was going to be so perfect. Paul is saying, listen, you need to get married fine, but understand this. You are operating now from a place of, if you're in Christ, what it was accomplished in the cross was Christ's completion in you in a way that no one else can. 
So if you're married or you're single, you're complete, not because of this person or relationship, but because of Jesus. Author Donald Miller put it this way. In my own journey, there had to be an evolution for me from thinking that being with a partner was going to make everything great in life when I actually really realized that it won't. And it's going to make things harder. There's a blessing. There's, there's fun that can be had. There's all sorts of benefits of friendship, but it's not that thing that's going to return me to what life was like before the fall of man. As soon as I actually believed that, I became a lot more happy. We tend to be unhappy when we think that we're missing out on something that we have access to, but we just can't get to it. When the truth is that you don't have access to it and you're not going to get it. So this is it. What you've got right now is it. Until the reunion with the Trinity and the, at the wedding feast of the Lamb, when you really understand that, your life becomes more happy. You become more content, whether you're single, whether you're married, or whatever your situation is. Paul is arguing that your peace and your security as an individual starts in your completion by Jesus right now, not in some future date, not if you're linked up or coupled up or someone's just killer that you're with, but right now. He's operating from the biblical standpoint that you are operating from if you're in Christ, that right now you are crafted by Jesus in the image of God. Right now, you are beautiful. Right now, not, not if someone finds you attractive, not if someone gives you a call or, or texts you to go on a date, not if you end up getting married. Right now, you are crafted, handcrafted by Jesus in the image of God. Not only that, but right now, if you're in Jesus, you are blameless in his sight. That means that right now, you're not like someone who's like, man, just, I've got so many issues and that's the end of me. No, right now, because of what Jesus did, you are forgiven. And when he looks at you, he sees you accordingly. Right now, if you're in Jesus, you are uniquely gifted to spread the impact his sacrifice paid for on the cross. Right now, you have gifts. Not one day if you get married. Not one day, well, I'm more qualified as a volunteer or someone who pours into ministry if I'm married. No, right now, right in this moment, if you're in Christ, that is your truth. You are uniquely gifted to spread the impact to his sacrifice paid for on the cross. And if you don't bring that to the table, you're cheating yourself, you're cheating the church as a whole, and you're che- treating this this body of believers here. Right now, you are valuable, you are validated, and you are vital to his mission. Right now. Not if one day, right now. That's how Paul can say such an audacious thing as he did in a first century culture, which totally was cool with the idea of coupling up, getting married, having lots of kids, and that being your identity. Just as much as it is today. He was saying, I'm going to tell you something countercultural that is my peace. All right, so what up with dating? Like, what if we want to date? Like, what about that? You know, what if, if that's, is that something that we just should never do? Is that something that's bad or something? Well, let's take a look at what Paul says later on in the passage. He kind of like outlines a perspective on this. Verse uh, 36. If anyone thinks he's acting improperly towards the virgin, which is another way of saying young unmarried uh, individual, young unmarried girl. Sometimes it was young unmarried girl or, or boy. But if anyone thinks he's acting improperly towards the virgin he's engaged to, and if she's getting along in years and he feels he ought to marry, he should do as he wants. He's not sinning. They should get married. In other words, in this relationship, we need to realize that just as much as if you're staying single, that who you are comes from who being uh, focused around who you are in Christ so that who you are in Christ elevates your sexuality. He's saying, look, 
this isn't my deal, but if your deal is that you've got an attraction for someone that you're like, you want to be in a committed relationship with, and you're like, man, just, I, I really feel like I want this to go someplace. There's a place for that, and that's marriage. And, and so don't, don't like try to like flirt with the covenantal aspects of this marriage. Um, now, instead, what you need to do is recognize that if you're in process to that, pull the trigger and make that happen. Don't have these epic long two, four-year engagements that you can have every dinner setting perfect at the wedding ceremony. Instead, recognize that if you're headed towards a romantic relationship, find that in the covenant of marriage and, and enjoy that there. It elevates the sexuality of the person and actually calls them to up, up a notch. But because this is Paul speaking, he's never going to say, oh yeah, let's go ahead and, and, and let me tell you about how to do that without throwing in a pot shot at how Marriage stinks and singleness is awesome. Look at what he says next, 37. But the man who settled the matter in his own mind, who's under no compulsion, but has control over his own will, and who has made up his mind not to marry the virgin, this man also does the right thing. So he who marries the virgin does right, but he who does not marry her does even better. That's Paul. All right, so Paul, Paul's communicating that, that concept. There's a place, if, if romantic relationship is something that you is in, in the bloodstream for you. There's a place for that. He secondly, not only elevates sexuality, but who you are in Christ actually focuses the field of options. If you look at the next verse, he says this, a woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she's free to marry anyone she wishes, but he must belong to the Lord. That is the key thing. It makes the focus that, but he must belong to the Lord. And again, he's saying this, listen, this is important for you to understand. You guys need to be on the same page as far as your spirituality. That, that's a key important part. And then of course, because he's Paul, he takes a pot shot at marriage in the next verse. In my judgment, she's happier if she stays the way she is. And that, that's, that's what he says. Now here's what he's saying. In this, he's saying, listen, if you're unlike me, Paul, who I think singleness is, is awesome, it's going to be me for the rest of my life. If that's not your story, there's a place for sexuality to be experienced, and God crafted it for that. There's also an amazing um, thing that we have in that the most fundamentally important aspects of who you are, which is who you are in Christ, determines the field of options that you look for. Um, not in a restrictive way, but, but in, a, in a massively caring way. Um, how many of you in here are married and agree with everything your spouse says? Oh, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I think there was a couple wives that grabbed the husband's ass. Okay, if you know my wife, Julie, she's amazing. She is a godsend. And Julie and I, for the whole of our, our marriage, we have not seen eye to eye on everything. True? True. <laughs> Oftentimes, it's like, hey, Julie, this sounds like an amazing movie. No, I don't think so. Hey, Errol, this is what I saw on the, on the, in the news. This is what I think of it. No, I think you're totally wrong. And so pretty much, not everything, not like 100%, but a good 72, 73% of the time, we're not going to initially see eye to eye on things. It's just kind of like, and that's kind of the way it's been. That's reality, okay? Paul is saying, in the, in, the, in the midst of this being a reality in marriage, why would you make the thing that is actually at your core of who you are, something that is going to be a bone of contradiction and conflict within you? Don't do that. Especially since it's like, like we don't know when Jesus is coming back. We don't know how much time we have. So instead of like trying to like find someone, I'm just going to try to really, really get them on board with Jesus, find someone who's following Jesus now that you can partner with so that when you're disagreeing on movies and politics and, and uh, social issues, you can at the same time have the thing that comes at your core. The thing that unites my wife and I is the fact that we know who Jesus is. 
and what he's done in our lives. And we could disagree all day long and everything else, but that unites us and that's at our core. Paul is saying, this is for you. And so the first concept of what he's saying is just that. He's saying, making who you are in Jesus your focus. And what he's saying to singles is what I'm going to say to singles within our church right now. NBC Singles, if you're not married, if you're single, okay, you're okay. You're just fine right now. If you're in Christ, you're fine just now. It's not something in the future. You're okay. You're okay staying single. You're okay not staying single and getting married one day, whatever. Right now, in Christ, because of Christ, You don't have to just look at at this arbitrary classification that society has imposed upon singles since like forever that you're incomplete. You are not. You are just fine in him. In fact, if you were listening to Paul, he'd say you're even better. Now, the thing is that you're not just single to be single to be more self-absorbed and self-independent. Instead, Paul, and the thrust of what he's saying is that our singleness actually pushes us to focus on our calling. If you look at what he says in, let's look at 32 to 35. He says this, I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of, his, of the world, how he can please his wife. And his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. His, her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how, could she, how she can please her husband. I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way. And this is the key, that you may live in a right way in an undivided devotion to the Lord. I want you to be undivided, have an undivided devotion to the Lord. When I was studying this, I wrote this down, that when Jesus is our foundation, singleness is not a curse or a condition, but a catalyst to a more advanced adventure following his lead. You could tell this to your mom or your grandma or, or whatever friends are trying to like look at you and try to, that are married or coupled up and trying to fix your singleness that this is not a curse or a condition, but from according to Paul, the significance of now is massive. And for us to understand that this is actually a catalyst to understanding what God's mission is for us in our life. Now, here's just a couple of action steps that, that I think following Paul's lead, we can l- flesh out. If you are someone who's single, I want to challenge you to take risks. And I'd say single as in, you're not yet married, even if you're dating. Take risks in building the kingdom that others would shy away from. You as a person who's not married have investment capital I do not have. You have a higher amount of capital in how much much availability you have, sometimes how much finances you have, and, and the freedom that you have. You have the ability to be spontaneous and get up and go and do something like that, as opposed to someone who doesn't. Now, when when you are pouring yourself into when you understand what Paul's doing, he's speaking from a firsthand experience. I've got so much freedom and, and the ability to do stuff that this is, this is massively important. H- how many of you own a pet? Okay. How many of you have had to go through when you're going on vacation, you're going out of town, you got to figure out what to do with the pet? Okay. Julie and I, when we first got married, all of a sudden I realized, okay, this is a different dynamic, okay? It's not just me, now it's just me and Julie. But we're like, well, we really want to have like, you know, training wheels for having other people in this house. So let's have a dog because that's what you do. And so we, we got the dog and the dog uh, pooped everywhere. And, uh, but on top of that, it was just like trying to figure out what to do with the dog when, we, when we're going out because we're busy, we're running all over the place. And the dog made things really, really difficult. And then we had a little person born into the house. And that little person pooped all over the place too. <laughs> 
problem was that the dog started to get like nippy and nasty towards the little person in the house. And so we had to make a decision about giving one of the two up. <laughs> and so when we kept Micah um, and got rid of the dog, it was another reality. Like, I, I couldn't possibly convey how much love I have for this, this person. I, it was unbelievable. Never experienced that before in my life. But I also realized I got to feed this kid. And like when we're going places, we have, actually have to put him in like, like a child seat and he doesn't like it. And I'm going to be one of those parents that the Walmart camera catches freaking out on his kid trying to get him into this, this seat. I realized that, that, that sleep was not happening anymore in my household. And all these things were happening. And all that because we brought another person into our house. Now we love this because we had three more of them. <laughs> this was, some, but it was something where I realized that there was some, there was an amount of capital I no longer had that I had when I was, when it was just Julie and I, and when, it, when I was single, that was no longer there. Right now, if you are not married, I want to challenge you, go on missions trips. We've got one on Bulgaria. Hit up Pastor Dave after this service to get a, an application. Get on that trip. When you hear other opportunities, lean into them. When, you have, when, when, when needs come up, this church is one of the most generous giving churches I've ever met. When there's like a need, oh, this is happening over in Shady Oaks. We need to do something to help out the flood situation. People step into action. When there's a financial need, bam. When Julie and I, when we were first getting into the Ignite initiative, where we're going to be giving more than we normally give to church because we're, we're doing all these different things that are happening in 2015 and 2016, we sat down and had a meeting. And we, sat, and we had our kids around the table and everything. How much can we give? That was a, a board meeting discussion that we had. If you're single, you don't have to have that meeting. You get to listen to the Holy Spirit's lead and say, okay. If I'm going to go someplace out of this country, I probably should talk to my wife about it. You don't have that. Paul didn't either. And Paul's saying, listen, right now, take risks. Be gutsy. Be generous. More so than you might be when you're down the road. Do that now. Not only that, but you also need to be someone who's making a deep investment in others, both inside and outside the church. I can't emphasize this enough. If you are a single person, do never, ever, ever, ever feel, and we probably have communicated this. So for that, I apologize. Never, ever, ever feel like the qualification for your leadership or, 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 or fruitfulness at this church or impact or pouring into ministry is a marriage license. It's not. It is not. The people that made the most impact on my heart when I was in elementary school at church, when I was at, in junior high, when I was in high school, and even in college, were single people. Mary Eason, she was a missionary to China, and she came back in retirement, and she, and she took on the kids that no one else would want to take on, the first through fifth graders that, at evening service. No one wanted us in the service, but no one wanted to deal with us. Mary Eason taught us the Bible and taught us about like underlining. The reason I underline in my Bible and draw little pictures to help me remember what the Bible's saying, Mary Eason, the single lady who poured into us, Idora, Tim Hardy, Danny Choi. These were people that poured into me. I would not be the man I am today. I would not be the disciple I am today if it wasn't for single people who didn't say, well, my singleness is some type of a barricade to real fruitfulness in the church, or I need to, have, I need to be married to have the backstage pass to Christianity. No, I, 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 I'd love to say that even stronger than I can on stage here. No, no. Make a deep investment in others, both inside and outside the church. Why? Because you do not need to have a relationship to be relational. God has created you to be relational. 
And you can experience that and flesh that out 100% without having, being in a relationship. Finally, not only that, but also invest in married people. Spend time with people that are married. Have coffee with them. Go over to their house. And not just to go over and try to learn how to, how to be married. Not only just to go over and learn all the, what not to do in a marriage, although that, that's a bonus. <laughs> but because you have something to teach them. And they, in turn, have something to teach you. Invest in married people. Invest in married people that, that are within this body. So we make who we are in Christ our focus. We focus on our calling. And finally, my challenge to you is to make the choice of calling this place home. For Manuka Bible Church to be a place where you, if you're someone who has been, who's been widowed, if you're a widow or a widower, that you don't feel like, you know what, because I don't have a spouse, I'm, I don't have as much of a place here. No, this is a place for you. If you're someone who's not married, and you feel like the, the, this church is really, they're really great on the kids and youth thing, and I guess that's cool, but that's just not my thing. I don't even know who Pastor Nick is. I don't care to know who Pastor Nick is. <laughs> this is a home for you. Another uh, group of people that the church has traditionally marginalized in awful ways are those who've been divorced. And that will not be the story here. You saw the, the blurb on divorce care, and I put the email for the contact directors here at this church at the bottom of your notes. But if you've gone through a divorce, do not go through that alone. Know that that, that is something that, that we want to walk alongside you with and help the healing happen. I asked the directors here at NBC to say, well, I asked them, what is it like for a person who's divorced to go to church? And they said, the hardest thing to grasp after being married and then going through a divorce is the idea of being single, alone. There's a great sense of loss, loss of family, friends, etc. We all want someone to love us, hold us, etc. The question that is often asked is, what is wrong with me? We as a church need to come alongside those that have gone through a divorce, not shun them. The sin of divorce is no greater than any other. Sometimes we send the wrong message. Jesus covered it at the cross. Amen? Now, whether you're someone who's single, um, you're widowed, or you've been widowed, um, or you're divorced, or you're someone who's come here and you're in community here, where you've come here and your spouse is just not here with you, it kind of feels awkward. I was told by someone between services that sometimes it feels more at home if a pers- as a divorced person coming to church than coming here without a spouse who's at home because this isn't their deal. And I just want to let you know that this is home. You're not alone. This is your family. And what I want to leave you with is this. As members of this church's community, we have a responsibility to pour into you learn from you, and step up our game to serve alongside you. We are your family. If you stay single, if you get married, if you're single and stoked about it, or single and seriously looking for a partner for life, aka if you're single and ready to mingle, whether you are divorced or in the midst of major issues, the message is the same. You are completed by one relationship. Let me repeat that. You are completed by one relationship, Jesus. Whatever family you come from, You have another one here. And our encouragement, our challenge to each and every one of you 
is to be someone that alongside the married people, and this is the same challenge to us as married people, make who you are in Christ your focus. Focus on your calling and call this place home. Know that you're home here. I told you that I've got four kids, and so it's easy. Um, one of the things that was easy for me to do is to say, man, this, this, is, this, is, kinda, this is really neat raising children and stuff. I love it. I wouldn't trade it for anything. And I, I all of a sudden started realizing that I'm sounding really, really old. And you know that you're old when you start saying things that old people say, that when they used to say those things to you, you're like, yeah, you're saying that because you're old. Things like, oh, how the time flies. <laughs> they were so small. And now... and now I'm saying those things. I'm like, look at Micah. He's so big. He was... We gave up the dog for that one. <laughs> and as you're raising kids, you start to ask questions that all of a sudden, when you see how big your eldest son is at 14 and freaks you out, you start to ask questions that you didn't ask before. Questions like, um, of my four boys, which of my kids are going to be following Jesus when they're adults? And which ones aren't? Which ones are going to turn away from their faith? Which of them might say, listen, I'm okay with the idea of God and stuff, but the idea of church is such a backwards institution. I don't think I can even sit through one of those services without just throwing up. I just can't stand the hypocrisy. And then I ask other questions like, which of my kids are going to get married? Who are my kids going to get married to? who are they going to get married to? And for those of you who've gone through that, that freaks a person out because you have no control over that. <laughs> and then I ask the next question. What happens if my kids don't get married? What if my kids grow up and they're single men who are not in a, in a covenant relationship of marriage? What if they're single and that's the way they stay? My hope is that they grow up in a church where they've had a chance to watch you. Those of you in this room who are single, who are showing my kids what it looks like to be a godly adult, male or female, who loves the Lord and is following him with all their heart so that when they're in adulthood, they don't feel, man, I love who I am, I love my life, but if only I was completed by this person. But instead, they would say, I know that I am completed by Jesus. And they will have learned that more from you than from me. So I'm being completely selfish here. If you're single in this body, I want to challenge you to flesh this out. Follow Paul's lead, who's following Christ's lead, so that my boys get a chance to grow up and see that example. Amen? Amen. Let's stand for prayer. Lord Jesus, it's just uh, par for the course for us as, as followers of you to get our eye off the ball and, and start emphasizing things more than others and just get things out of whack. And we, could do, we do that so often in, in status. Lord, I thank you that, that your love for us and your grace for us and our validity is more than a Facebook status. It's more than when, whether or not we're dating or we're 
not or we're in a marriage relationship or we're no longer in a marriage relationship because of death or divorce. We know that above and beyond that, the thing that supersedes that is your love for us and who we are in you. Lord, I pray that you just raise a mountain, a mountain of faithful people who are following your lead and wherever they are in life, realizing the significance of now and fleshing that out to their full. And that impact will be felt on those around them and people will get a better picture of you and your amazing grace. And when we see that, we'll give you the thanks and the glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Let's go live it out.